Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Zinati Guma. Tackling your stock-related questions this evening are Jean-Pierre Ferster from Protea Capital Management and Drikas Kombring from Capicroft. Don't forget to send those questions via SMS to 41392 or email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at Business Day TV using the hashtag Stockwatch. Thanks so much for your time, gentlemen. I'm surprised that you're still available because so many people are already going on leave. <laughs> so just as the end of the year approaches, what are some of the big catalysts for the markets that you have your eye on, starting uh, with you, um, JP? Mm, yes, so... Um if I think about catalysts, the one big question that I think the market is grappling with is where is the Fed funds rate going to settle at, the long-term rate? Um, if you look at the moment, it looks like maybe um, about 4%. Uh, the expectations have come down just in the last few weeks to slightly lower than 4%. So I think that will be a key catalyst if uh, people get a sense that we have reached the top of the rising interest rate cycle in the U.S. And then, then I think the other catalyst is what's going to happen with uh, with energy markets globally. Yeah. Uh, we've seen energy markets spike, and there are two schools uh, uh, thinking about what might happen next, that it will stay high because supply is throttled, and people want to transition to green energy, but uh, they haven't really invested enough to do that. Uh, or uh, we'll, uh, we'll see lower energy prices because, you know, what comes up must come down in commodity markets. Yeah. So I would say interest rates and... Uh, energy markets. Those are two key catalysts for 2023. Yeah. Talking about interest rates, because for the last few days, we've kind of seen the negative sentiment in the markets, um, of course, spooked by the robust economic data that keeps on coming out of the U.S. Yesterday, it was the PMI on the services sector um, still signaling that that sector is still quite strong. And of course, this came on the heels of the U.S. non-farm payrolls that were quite strong on Friday. And I'm wondering, as the markets are so spooked, why there's still such a big pricing of a 50 basis point hike instead of 75, Trigus? Well, we're still going in the, let's call it the wrong direction. You know, from a, uh, from a monetary perspective, it's the right direction. Inflation is still a problem, um, even though I do think that the second derivative of inflation, you know, the change, the rate of change um, of inflation is... Uh, is definitely moderating uh, for a lot for a lot of categories, um, and we might see more of that CPI's coming out. US CPI's coming out next week, Tuesday. Um, later, I think this week, Friday, it's, it will be US PPI. Um, but back to your point about the data, the the data, even though some of it might be lagging, is still quite strong. You know, um, it still um, doesn't give the doves uh, if there are any out there uh, within the Federal Reserve anything to talk about and um, I, I think the, the question is to add to JP's interest rates question of you know not necessarily where does it settle but when does the economic data start turning bad um, and you know how bad does it get and how far can you know uh, the Fed and central bank globally course correct without causing an inflation problem you know um, it's, it's all difficult questions. I haven't got the answers, but it's something that you must consider with, within the construction of your portfolio, obviously. Mm, all right. Um, well, it seems that the third quarter GDP numbers for South Africa couldn't have come at a better time for Sil Ramaphosa. Um, of course, even though a lot of, uh, you know, 
people really think that he is the most credible person to be at the head of the ANC. There has been pushback that, you know what, um, even though um, he is seen as the, probably the most credible person, the economy has still been in the doldrums under his leadership. So we did have that GDP coming in better than expected. JP, um, how do you feel about those numbers? Yeah, it came out above expectations, but I mean, it's quite noisy on a quarter-to-quarter -quarter basis. And we're now talking about the third quarter, so to the end of September, while we're already in December. So, you know, a lot has happened since the end of September. And we need to wait another three months before we get the Q4 numbers. Yeah. So I don't put a lot of emphasis on quarterly GDP numbers okay. uh, because of, of the noise and the fact that there's such a big lag uh, when it comes out. Uh, but to your point, the economy has been under strain and it's because of ESCOM, because of a lot of issues and because still of, let's call it a, a structural uh, hangover of corruption that has caused so much damage to our country that it's taking a long time to slowly but surely address and hopefully correct. Um, so uh, look, at, at least the GDP number was positive. <laughs> let's mm -hmm. look at the silver lining and yeah. let's hope for a few more quarters of positive numbers coming. All right. Um, Drukas, on you, on your side, I mean, it was quite a big surprise. 0.6% growth expected by uh, economists, 0.4% expected by the South African Reserve Bank, and then you get to the actual print coming in at 1.6%. Would you still say that it's, it, it's, it doesn't signal um, that South Africa, the, the South African economy has turned a corner? I mean, maybe also echoing what JP is saying that you'd rather wait for the yearly figure. No, so, so most of the recovery that we've seen in the last year or so has been on the back of higher commodity prices, higher commodity volumes. Um, some of that uh, has thankfully recovered in the third quarter because translate is starting to sort out a, a bit of the issues and some of the ports are, have opened up. In the second quarter, you still have floods down in, in Durban, etc. So a lot of it is pent up exports. Um, so uh, And the exports drove together with mining and manufacturing um, on, on a sector level drove a lot of that figure. If you go into capital formation, uh, so, so you know, the, the old GDP figure driven by exports mainly and by manufacturing and the mining is now higher than it was in 2019. We've oh. recovered, you know, our COVID blues. Um, but um, household consumption expenditure and more importantly, gross capital formation is still very subdued. Um, and that points to, you know, the local economy. So all those mining profits and, and a bit of manufacturing profits, are, uh, you know, they're, they're using that to consolidate, you know, the, the, the businesses and they're not really reinvesting that back into the economy. Uh, all right. So though we are seeing green shoots, of course, the domestic um, demand is still quite weak. Uh, talking about uh, turning a corner, there's a question here on EOH. Uh, do you think the company has turned the corner? JP. I think operationally it's turned the corner. Um, I, I think uh, the management team there deserve a medal for, for what they've done. Uh, the only thing that hasn't turned the corner is the balance sheet. And we know mm -hmm. that they, uh, they've announced that their bankers are forcing them to do a rights issue, which unfortunately is going to be highly dilutive. Uh, and, um, and we're still waiting for the price, but uh, indications are that the number of shares outstanding is going to more than double. Um, so that's going to dilute current shareholders. And then it's all about post the rights issue, if they fix the balance sheet and the legacy debt, uh, what they can do with this business now going forward. It's a much smaller business, 
because they needed to sell a lot of profitable divisions to to address the debt and survive. Um, but I do think they've turned the corner. The, the question is about the valuation. Yeah. And um, I would hope that post the rights issue, depending on the price, that could, could put a flaw on the price. Uh, and then we can see a nice recovery in the share price, which follows the operational recovery of the POH. Okay, so Drikas, would you say that then if um, you believe in the EOH story and that they have indeed turned a corner, because that rights issue to settle the debt is going to be dilutive to current shareholders, then the better time to go in would be after that rights issue? Yeah, well, you can't do anything unless I know a price. Each and every asset, don't, you can't ever ask me about any asset without knowing the price. Yeah. So, you know, un unless I know the rights issue terms, uh, it's impossible to say. But I do think, as JP said, said, they've stabilized the business. I don't know what their gross prospects are, but, you know, if, if um, enough shareholders, you know, just uh, shun this one after the rights issue and they've corrected the balance sheet, they, they, there might be opportunity. There usually is. Mm, all right. Talking about opportunity, uh, what would be the best pick? B, between APSA or Standard Bank in a portfolio for medium term. Also, the prospects for good dividends and growth over the medium term period. Of course, you know that uh, the financials were quite beaten down last week, but we are seeing a nice recovery even today uh, as the JSC was in the red. We did see the financials um, in, in, in the green. So, uh, JP, I guess it, it's no question as to whether there is value in the banking sector, but between ABSA and Standard Bank? Yeah, it's a bit of a much of a muchness between the two. Uh, they both have significant African operations as well. And some African countries are going through a tough time at the moment. Uh, if I think of Nigeria, for instance, even though the oil price is high, there's all kinds of structural issues and still uh, problems with uh, uh, the Naira and repatriating funds out of Nigeria. Um, and even in East Africa, things aren't going that great. Um, if, if you look at what's happening in some of the, the geographies there, uh, even Egypt, I know they don't have material uh, operations there, it has some trouble. So between the two, it's, it's the same investment case. And that is that you have a very profitable, but probably low growth bank in South Africa, more growth coming from Africa, but at higher risk. And then um, it means if you look at the current valuation of both these banks, I would say it's probably fair. And a lot would be driven by the GDP growth in not only South Africa, but the rest of Africa and sidestepping some of those risks that are normally associated with uh, commodity dependent economies. Uh, and, and then these banks could do reasonably well. But the big recovery from really depressed levels happened between uh, let's say March, April 2020, the COVID depth to quite recently. From now on, it would probably be more moderate. Atrikas, mm. would you look at these two with the same lens um, or are there significant differences that, that you'd keep in mind? Now, we, we bought smallish amounts uh, a while ago, offered a bit of value, but at these levels, you know, they're, they're not really cheap. Um, you know, banks internationally are trading at sub-10 price earnings ratios. Um, you've got a lot of international banks, and, and I'm not even mentioning European banks, banks that are, you know, got toxic balance sheets. So you've got US banks and UK banks trading at one one price to book, you know, one times book value, which is, you know, that they used to trade at 2.5 times average before the global financial crisis. So 
So if you, if you do think there's going to be a, uh, a global recovery in, um, in uh, interest rate margins, because that's typically what happens when interest rates rise, I do think there's more upside uh, offshore. Uh, and I do think, secondly, that, you know, just from optically from a valuation perspective, you know, the, the multiples just look the same as they do locally. But I do think there's more upside offshore if interest rate margins can, you know, if you take a five-year view and interest rate, rate margins uh, opens up, you know, then typically interest rate income might double from these levels. It's possible. Mm. Um, just looking at the JC, um, the moves were kite. Um, they weren't really the big movements that we're used to seeing. But I did notice that some sectors or some counters actually did have big movements, not as big as Marion Roberts yesterday. So you had Tungela and Glencore down, I think over 2%, almost 3%. And then you had the retailers up about 3 4%. Um, so just pick one, JP, and maybe is there anything significant that did move uh, any of those today? Yeah, so I'll, I'll touch on um, the coal market and Glencore in particular. Glencore had a, a update today where they gave their forecasts of their production numbers for their commodities, including coal. And those numbers were a bit disappointing. Uh, in the next three years or so, uh, the, the volume of metals that they produce is going to be roughly flat. And the market was a bit disappointed by that. And they also indicated what their free cash flow yield was using current spot prices for the commodities they produce. And that was also a bit lower than what the market was hoping for. It is being driven by coal at the moment. So coal mm. is the big swing factor. And if you think about uh, the type of free cash flow yield that Glencore is trading at, call it 15, 16%, that sounds very attractive. But then you look at a, at a single coal commodity producer like Tungela, yeah. and it's uh, just by double that. So, um, my preference is still for Tungela, and um, and the, the little bit of lower share price today, I would say, is an opportunity to maybe switch some uh, Glencore, if you have some of that, into Tungela, which I believe that shows more value. Retailers, on the other hand, um, quite big movements there, robust, about 3%, uh, 4% gains there. I think the last ones that I saw were Truworth, ShopRite. Drikas, anything significant that has moved those today? I don't see anything, uh, to be quite honest. Yeah. Um, no, nothing. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if one of the uh, retailers reported and there was a bit of a sympathy rally. I didn't see anything. Yeah. Could it maybe not be GDP? Could be GDP, but once again, then they should do better homework. Uh, you know, consumption expenditure wasn't <laughs> up by that much. Yeah. Okay. All right. I, I see. But a lot of us really just look at the headline number and we don't really drill down. Sure into the numbers yeah yeah as, as do the as do the algos on some of these names so you'll typically see the if the large caps move without the medium and small caps it's, it's typically a lot of day traders and algos ah. that only moves on the headline you know yeah yeah all right well uh, there's another headline today and i actually have two questions on that it's about nutritional holdings i'm not sure if uh, you guys actually look at it but it's uh, it's listing on the jc will be removed for existing shareholders, does this mean your capital goes down the drain or you can sell out of the investment when the company is private? Um, and yeah, the other one, what are the implications for existing shareholders? So that company has really been challenged for a long time. Um, I think when you look at their division that sells 
the powdered milk to schools and prisons. Um, there's challenges there. It's not really making any profit. And then you look at the cannabis side, that's not really operational. JP, do you have uh, any insights on that? Yeah, I was just saying in general that when a company delists uh, without a buyout of all the shareholders, um, it becomes very tricky. You can technically still trade the shares, but it's not traded on an exchange. So you don't know where to find a buyer for the shares you want to sell. The best way is to contact the company directly, the company secretary or the transfer secretaries that handles the transfer of ownership for a public company. Yeah. Uh, so you can still trade the shares even though it's not listed, but it's very difficult and you need to indeed find uh, someone for the other side of the transaction and then you need to negotiate with them a price that they would be willing to do a transaction. So it's very tedious and normally it does mean that um, uh, you, you're not going to be able to transact anywhere close to the last price at which that company was traded at on the JSE. Yeah, all right. Well, thank you for that, uh, JP. Uh, there's a question, actually two questions on Zeda. Zeda with an A and not an ER. Um, it says, well, one question actually. Zeda will be listed on the JSC on the 13th of December. Any news on this company and its prospects going forward? Do you expect extreme volatility on the share price on the day and for a couple of days thereafter? It has been valued at 4.5 billion rand. Opinions on this valuation? Of course, um, that uh, separate listing from Barlow World. Yeah, no, uh, well, at that price, at a, at a f it's about 15 rand price if I ran the numbers right. Um, it gets to a... a, a I single digit PE, more or less, um, which is cheap. It's a dividend yield of about 5%. It should support about a dividend yield of 5%. Uh, and that's more or less in line with, you know, um, a CMH, uh, which I regard as a great operator. Um, so I don't see it as very cheap at that price. If it dips below that, we'll be looking to acquire some. Um, but once again, you know, if, if you can't, you can't really know the price until it hits the JSE. Normally what happens with, with spin-offs or unbundlings, as we call them here, um, is a lot of people from the parent company just sells out. They have no interest in holding that single share. It's usually a small part of their holdings, and it it's just doesn't move the needle for them. So they indiscriminately sell it. And um, hopefully for, for our smaller operators, we, we you know, they they do just that, and then we'll be looking to pick up the shares. But at 15 Rand, it's, it's not extremely cheap. It's, yeah, but it's, it's certainly something worth looking at. All right. So Trigger is saying that it uh, doesn't look particularly cheap. Maybe he'd get in um, at a lower price. Yeah, so the second question, with the Bottle World unbundling, will it uh, be worth it to hold Zeta shares? Uh, JP? It all depends on the price at which the ZDA shares trade when they are listed on the 13th. Uh, my views are broadly similar to Drikas. I would add to that by saying that uh, the last, say, 18 months to two years have been ex uh, exceptional years for car rental businesses. And ZDA, uh, with its Avis budget division, uh, has made a lot of money uh, through that. So I would caution about the growth prospects of ZDA. And therefore, a lower multiple um, is justified. 
and uh, one would need to wait for the price at which uh, the first buyers and sellers transact on the 13th. It will probably be a bit volatile on the first day. And then if it, to use very broad round numbers, if it trades at 20 Rand per share, you probably want to sell all your ZDA shares. And if it trades at 10 Rand a share, you'd probably consider uh, buying more ZDA shares. Ah, all right. Marion Roberts, um, that was still down today after that plunge we saw yesterday of more than 20%. Today still down about 10%. Of course, the jitters just aren't ending on that counter. It's, it's had actually had quite a horrible time this year. Um, and we've had ups and downs on announcements of acquisitions and disposals. And of course, the latest one being now the uh, fallout or fall through of the, um, the acquisition of Clough by WeBuild in Italy. Um, Drikas, what are, will you be waiting to hear from Marion Roberts going forward, considering that they had already rejigged their strategy and Clough was basically seen as um, part of their growth strategy going forward? Yeah, I've, I've luckily avoided this one for, for so long. I've almost forgotten about, about its listing. <laughs> Maybe John Pierre, you, you can uh, yeah. something about it. I've, yeah. I've completely ignored, ignored them for the recent past, in the recent past. Yeah. All right. Uh, JP, have you been looking at them? Uh, also not recently for, yeah. for good reason. I mean, it's actually fascinating. Marion Roberts has got a very long and proud history of, of being a public company. And it just shows how difficult the construction industry is. And when I say construction, I include big projects in that. Mm. And all the big construction companies, except for WBHO in South Africa, have almost hit the wall. Uh, and internationally, the moment these companies tried to diversify, they also ran into trouble. WBHO ran into big trouble in Australia, and now Marion Roberts even bigger trouble by putting Clough in administration. So it is a very sad state of affairs. And I think the lesson we can take out of this is that the quality of a business ultimately decides what one's return will be. And if you buy businesses with questionable questionable business models, which I would add construction as being part of that, it almost doesn't matter how cheap you can get the shares. Mm. You run the risk that the share goes to zero. And I would say that Marion Roberts runs that risk because after Clough being put in administration and selling Bombela, there's not much left. They have the cementation business uh, still left in Australia, but um, but buyer beware when it comes to construction businesses. Yeah, right. A very interesting one uh, that we will be looking out for there. Of course, it will be interesting uh, as to how they sell the business going forward to shareholders. Right. Uh, let's get to your stock picks for today, gentlemen. Drickers, what would it be? Uh, Theresa PLC, they uh, um, came out with results um, recently. I think uh, I pitched the, the stock a few months ago. can't remember. But uh, I think it's still a a good uh, buy at these levels. Um, it's sitting at a forward price to book of below of price, uh, EV to EBITDA below two. Um, there's a lot of net cash on the balance sheet. A lot of that will be used for the Karoo project, um, which is also a PGM project. Um, and obviously, nobody likes PGM at the moment um, because it's you know we're all going to use electric vehicles mm. over the next few years. Um, I don't completely buy into that. I, th I do think it's going to take longer than that. And in the meantime, I do actually think PGM demand will go higher um, as as um, as global auto demand keeps growing. Um, but yeah, um, I, th I think you're being adequately compensated for any risk to that thesis uh, at least at these levels.
Yeah, all right. And on your side, JP, what are you hanging your hat on today? My stock pick is Caring. It's a French luxury goods company spelled K-E-R-I-N-G. Uh, the word caring actually comes from um, the, the, the word in, in Brittany, which is a region of France with its own language, where the word care means home. And it was the home of the family that controls uh, caring as a listed business. It's one of the largest luxury goods businesses in the world, and it owns Gucci and Yves Saint Laurent. So uh, Gucci is the real powerhouse. A lot of people um, would, uh, would uh, give many paychecks to get a, a Gucci handbag. Uh, and um, we spoke earlier about valuations and quality of business models. I would say that luxury goods is one of the best business models out there. And for the last few years, China has been under pressure with the COVID lockdowns. It looks like some of those lockdowns are being lifted. And that means that luxury goods businesses, including Caring with a Gucci brand, will probably do quite well. So uh, that's my stock pick for the long term. Yeah. All right. Th thank you for that. I'll stop saying YSL to get out of saying Yves Saint Laurent. At least now I know <laughs> how to pronounce it. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for your time. Um, I guess Jean-Pierre Jean Ferster from Protea Capital Management and Trigas Komring from Capicraft. Julieta is back with Stockwatch tomorrow night. Have a good evening. <laughs>